0: What you believe about death is determined by what you believe about God's existence. This is the first message in the series, Life After Life. The message is entitled, What Do You Believe? Here is Pastor Dale Shields. I wanna talk to you this weekend about a very important aspect of life after life, what happens when we die. And I wanna start by talking to us about the essential of belief, the importance of the right kind of faith in your life. When we talk about life after life, you might remember words like or have heard words like the annihilation of the soul or reincarnation or nirvana and soul sleep and all these different ideas that people sometimes have about, uh, about life after life, reincarnation. These are terms that are often used in discussions and thought processes when it comes to what happens when people die. As Christian believers, we have two other words that are vital to us, heaven and hell. And the Bible talks both about heaven and the Bible talks about hell very clearly. And we're going to unpack some of that over the next several weeks together. Let me encourage you to be a part of this entire series. There's absolutely no way that I can talk about life after life in just one or two messages. We're going to have at least six messages in this series. And we're going to talk about all kinds of things when it comes to life and death, how you can be sure that you're going to heaven will be one of those messages that I will share with you. What are the end times look? like? like. We'll talk about uh, how to prepare for Jesus' coming and how to anticipate the coming of the Lord, lots of different things. But today, as I said, I want to talk to us about a basic foundation. The foundation is about believing. What do you believe? And why should we even talk about belief and about life and death? Why is this an important topic? Because there's a certain statistic that you need to be aware of. The last time I check, one out of one people die. That means it's inevitable. Unless Jesus returns before you pass away, you are going to one day face the moment of your last breath, and you will go into eternity, and eternity is a really long time. And so if you're inevitable, if death is inevitable, and indeed we all are going to die at some moment if Jesus does not return before that time, and if eternity is a really long time, it's extremely important and wise for you to know where you're going to spend eternity and to know something about the place that you're going. You need a little travel brochure before you get there. You need the heaven.com website to understand a little more of what heaven is all about so that when you get there, you'll have an awareness of what heaven is. And understanding heaven is not something just to put off to the by and by, I'll think about that later. No, heaven is a topic that helps you live now because when you understand heaven, when you get more aware of what life after death is for the believer, it brings focus to your life. It brings a sense of purpose to your life. It helps you to prioritize your life in a new and fresh way. It helps you to experience peace in your life. It frees you from one of the greatest fears that a lot of people have, and that is the fear of death. There's a significant number of people in our world today that suffer from the fear of death. What is going to happen to me when I die? Will I go to heaven? Or will I not go to heaven? Will I go to hell? What is my destiny after I breathe my last breath? And the Bible, as I mentioned, is not silent on this subject. Scripture describes very clearly life beyond this life. And you can't answer the question about life after life without answering another question that I'm presenting to you today. What do you believe about God? Because what you believe about God really ties in to what you're going to believe about life after death. Because every time you think about life after death, you have to consider, is there a God? You have to consider, do I have some relationship with this God? And so you can't really think about life after life without bringing in this very vital question, what do you believe? What do you really believe about God? I'm not talking about just some superficial belief. I'm talking about a deep belief inside of you regarding your confidence or your faith and who God is and in his existence. So today I'm going to talk to you about two things related to this whole idea of God and how it relates to life after life. It's a foundational message, as I've already mentioned, but it's vital to our study together. And here's my first point today. You and I need to come to the place that we understand that there is a God and He is the one and only God. They're not multiple gods, neither are there multiple ways to God. There is only one God. He's the one and only God. And the Bible begins presenting this one and only God to us in the very first book of the Bible and the very first verse in the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 starts out with these words, in the beginning God. There it is. It doesn't take any time to try to explain where God came from or in any very great depth who he is. It just presents to us a fact from the very beginning, very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God and God created the heavens and the earth. The psalmist speaks of it this way in Psalm 53, verse 1, not the only place in the Bible where you will find find these words, but he says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So the Bible says it's foolish not to accept the reality of God. In fact, I've heard it said before, and I would agree with this statement, it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a believer. It takes far more faith to be an atheist than it does a believer. The Bible says, in the beginning, God, and the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says this in in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. Yes, remember your creator, capital C, now while you're young, before the silver cord of life snaps And the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the well. And the pulley is broken at the well he's talking about. Don't wait until death to remember your creator. For then, that is at death, the dust will return to the earth. And the spirit will return to God who gave it. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 17 and says now. Now to the king, eternal, always has been, always will be, immortal, always full of life, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You cannot consider the topic of death without considering the topic of God. What do you believe about God? Because death is about going back to your creator, your maker. And the question is, what will be my fate when I meet my maker? I believe, if we believe in the existence of God, we must believe that at death we will give an account to the one who created us as our creator, capital C. So I want to share just for a few moments today, I want to talk to you about the, the, the evidence for God. I'm not a a super apologist, I certainly have studied apologetics to some degree and I don't fancy myself as someone that can deal with all the different intricacies of apologetics, but I do want to share with you six things that are settled in me and I believe are very clearly settled in Scripture that will allow you to have confidence that God exists because some people will perhaps question you, how do you know that God exists? I, I want to give you six reasons how and why you can know that God exists. First of all, we know that God exists because of the design and the complexity of the universe in which we live. We live in a very complex, uniquely designed universe. Think about your physical body. Just the DNA of our physical body is absolutely incredible. Think about where the earth is positioned in relationship to the sun and to the moon. We're just the right amount of distance from the sun and the moon to give us proper gravity and to provide for us the proper atmosphere and the warmth and not too much coldness and not what would kill us by reason of the heat, but we're just centered right there in that place in the universe related to the sun and the moon, and it cannot be explained any other way than the fact that somebody had to do that. There was a designer, there was a creator that put us in that place. And in fact, if th- these kind of things are not accidental, they happen by designs. An old statement that says, if you take a Swiss watch and you break it apart or put all the pieces of a beautifully designed or potentially designed Swiss watch and put all those elements in a box and shake the box all day long, you cannot expect a beautiful Swiss watch to come out of the box. There will only be parts in the box and the same is true for our world. This is not an accident where we live in the universe that exists, it is there by reason of design and complexity of a designer, capital D. The second reason we can know and be assured of the existence of God is what I would call or what is called the principle of cause and effect. A cause always has an effect. Whatever exists exists because it was caused by something. And because the universe exists, there has to be a cause for the universe. I read an example of this that I thought was very applicable. And some of you perhaps can relate to this. At my house, Uh, We live in an area where we have deer that will come through our yard from time to time. And there's a lot of deer in Montgomery, Frederick County. And so sometimes they, they make their way through our yard. I may not necessarily see the herd of deer, but when I go out to walk my dog, I will notice that the tracks are there. And because I see the tracks I know there's a cause that means there's an effect and cause that go together. Those tracks didn't just show up by themselves. Something caused those tracks. They're there for a reason. And so whether I see the deer or not, I know they've been there. And I want to tell you the world that we live in have the tracks of God everywhere. The fingerprints of God all around us. We have the cause and the effect. Thirdly. The reason we can be assured of the existence of God is the argument or the perspective of the moral awareness of humanity. All people, sociologists have studied this for many, many uh, years now, decades. Going back in ancient history, all tribes and nations generally have, almost always have a moral code. They have some awareness of right and wrong. They may have never been taught about God or never learned anything about Jesus Christ, never seen a Bible, but nevertheless, they know something about what is right and what is wrong, and they have moral codes within their tribes and within their nations, and they know something about what is acceptable and what is not. How do they get that sense of morality? That sense of morality is is innately placed in them by a, a God to whom they will give an account one day. It's very interesting that sociologists have also noted the fact that oftentimes these various tribes and nations who have known nothing about God but nevertheless have a moral code, many times those moral codes are extremely similar in nature, as though God has written something into the design of humanity to have some innate awareness that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. The fourth reason that we know that God exists is what I would describe here as the spiritual pursuit of people. Very similar to the last one that I mentioned, but if you study ancient civilizations, you study any civilization again as sociologists have, you will discover that all tribes and all nations will generally have some dimension of worship. they will worship a god or gods, some kind of idolatry perhaps, but they they have some kind of form of, of worship that that uh, that attempts to appease a god or gods. why because not only is there a moral code written into the hearts of humanity, but there's a a desire to worship. They may not necessarily even know who or what they're worshiping, but they want to worship something and so worship comes out. Where does that innate sense of worship come from? It comes from God. The fifth reason for the existence of God is the beauty of the world in which we live. Do we not live? There's some ugly parts of the world, but I'll tell you there's some very beautiful things in the world as well, right? If you look at the world, you'll notice that there's a lot of artistry in the world. And the artistry of the world means that there's an artist who's formed that artistry. Take a look at some of these pictures. Only God could make something like that. Okay? Look at those beautiful birds. Look at the colors and the designs and how God just took his paintbrush and said, I'm going to give this bird this little color. And look at that guy right there. Only God could make somebody look like that, okay? But you look at the world around us and you see this beauty and you have to say, there's an artist somewhere. There's an artist somewhere with a capital A. And so we, even as human artists, what do we do? We oftentimes try to copy the artistry of God. A portrait oftentimes is a reflection. Let me see if I can capture the beauty of that bird or the beauty of that landscape with my camera. Can I capture that picture in such a way that reflects the nature, the beauty of the great artist who's already presented that to us in splendor? The sixth reason how and why we can know in the existence of God is the reliability of the Bible. This book is a miracle book. It is a supernatural book. I don't, I, this actually This part of the message today could be an entire message in and of itself, but I'm just going to quickly cover something that you need to understand about this wonderful book called the Bible. This is a book that's been given to us by God Almighty. It's reliable because... The ancient manuscripts. There are many, many thousands of ancient manuscripts, far more than any of the other ancient writings that we can lean back on and rely upon. For example, if you've studied the Dead Sea Scrolls, you remember that prior to the Dead Sea Scrolls, there were manuscripts from which we found the Old Testament. And then, once in 1947, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, they discovered ancient manuscripts—manuscripts, manuscripts, I should say—of the prophet Isaiah, and they compared them to to other manuscripts almost zero discrepancies between the two accuracy, incredible accuracy it's a reliable book because it was written over 1600 years, think about that over 1600 years these words were penned by about 40 different authors 40 different people over 1600 years and yet you read from Genesis to Revelation and the message is completely unified I couldn't take 5 of you and give you 10 minutes and come up with a message unified, okay? Anybody played the telephone game before, okay? By the time it gets to the fourth person, the story is completely different. But we've got 40 people over 1600 years inspired by the Holy Spirit writing these words and from Genesis to Revelation that the story of redemption is told in this book called the Bible. It's an amazing thing to understand. Archaeology and history helps us to understand the validity of the Bible. I'll give you a couple of illustrations of that. For many, many years, no one could find in archaeology any reference to King David. Oh, he was in the Bible, but there was no, there was no uh, verifying archaeological evidence for King David at all. And then in 1993, they were doing some excavation up in Tel Dan, which is in the northern part of Israel. And they, discover, they, they, they discovered a plaque that referred to the house of David. For many years, they could not verify the existence of a man by the name of Pontius Pilate. And so for many, they thought, well, perhaps he's just a figment of someone's imagination. But in 1961, they were doing some excavation and repair work in a place called Caesarea by the Sea, north of Tel Aviv in Israel, and they discovered a plaque with the name Pontius Pilate on it. Those are just two of hundreds of examples That could be given to point to the fact that time and time again the Bible is proven to be accurate historically and accurate from an archaeological standpoint. Why do I believe this book is a supernatural word of God to us? Jesus believed it. Jesus quoted the scriptures. He believed in the word of God. He quoted the scriptures. The apostles quoted the scriptures. I'll give you one more reason why I believe in the reliability of this book and the fact that it points to a God. This book changes people's lives. Many of us here can say, listen, I know that I could take time today and I could take you to scripture verses that changed the course of my life. I'm reading or studying one day and I find a scripture verse and it adjusts the course of my life. And many of you could say, yes, I've had experiences like that as well, that God has guided you through this amazing thing called his book. At times you'll open up and find a scripture that was exactly what you needed in that moment. Why? Because it's just some coincidence that happens. No, there's a God, the spirit of God is the author of this book and it points to the reality of who God is. Dear ones, let me tell you today, when we start talking about life after death, we have to nail down the reality of what we believe about God. And I want to tell you today there is a God, and He is the one and only God. That's what we know. Number two, the second thing I want to talk about briefly today is that God is what is God? God is loving, He's good, He's holy. He's true, and he's just. Now that we have established the fact that we believe in the existence of God, we need to proceed down the pathway. What's the next step down the pathway? Well, we know there is a God, so what is he like? What is his nature? What is his character? And if death is about facing God and giving an account of our lives to God, it is good for us to know something about what he is like. So let's lay out for understanding today. Who is this God that we're going to give an account to one day? We know that he exists, but but what is his nature? What is his character? What is he really like? And I want to talk about these five words I've just given you. Number one, God is a loving God. Because God is love and heaven is where God is. Heaven is a place of love. That when you take your last breath here, you will exit a world that has mixed love. There's some love in our world, but there's a lot of places where there is no love in our world. And so when you leave this planet, when you breathe your last breath and go to be with God as a follower of Jesus Christ, you enter into an atmosphere, a heavenly atmosphere of love. I've been reading a number of stories over the last several weeks of people who had near-death experiences. And quite often, especially if they're believers in Christ, they talk about the fact that when, we ha- when they have, the- have these near-death experiences, that the first thing that they notice as soon as they enter into that heavenly realm, before they're restored back to their bodies by medical science, that they find an atmosphere that is incredibly, indescribably filled with love. A love that they can't even really put to words And this is what heaven is like. Heaven is love because God is love and God lives there. And I will tell you, you will never get enough love on earth. You'll never find the people to love you as much as you want to be or need to be loved. But that's what eternity is all about. Because when you get to eternity, when you get to heaven, there'll be all the love that you've ever wanted and all the love you've ever needed. Your cup will be full forever, okay? John three sixteen. For God so, help me out church, God so what? Love the world. That's you, put your name right there. God so loved, insert your name, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God said, I sent my love so you would not perish in the form of my son. Romans 8, 8 and 9, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since by his blood he did all this for us as sinners, how much more will he do for us now that he has declared us not guilty? Now he will save us from all of God's wrath to come. What do we know about God? God is what? God is love. Let me tell you the second thing that you need to know about God. God is good. He's good. Well, oh, don't let the simplicity of these words just leave you with a lack of appreciation for them. God is good. See, because God is totally good and because he lives in heaven, then heaven is a place that is totally good. It's totally love and it's totally good. There's an absence of anything, if you will, bad in heaven. Everything is truly good there. James 1 verse 17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, describing his Father in heaven. If you then, though you're evil, know, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in in where? Heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. So God is loving, and God is good. So heaven is a place of love, and heaven is a place of goodness. But the third thing that we need to know about God is that He is holy. God is holy. Now, when we hear that God is holy, that can be quite intimidating to us because we know we're not, okay? We know that we have an issue because we have sin in our lives. And so, God's holy, I'm not. I think I need to stay away from him. What does that mean when I die? Because he's holy, but I'm not. And we'll get to that in a moment related to Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand the word holy in just a bit different frame of reference today. It means, if you will, without impurities, okay? That God is without any impurity. He is completely pure. He is completely right. He is completely righteous. He is completely wholesome. He's completely whole, if you will. Wholeness and wholesomeness is wrapped up in the concept of holiness. To be in the presence of God is to be in the presence of purity, righteousness, rightness, wholeness, wholesomeness. And heaven is holy because God is there. It's a holy place. No impurities. Here's another thing to remember about about heaven and its purity, its holiness. See, our biggest problem, our biggest problem is something called sin. Would you agree with me on that? You don't need to raise your hand on this, but any of you ever face any temptations in your life, right? We all do. And sometimes we don't always just face them. Sometimes we we sometimes succumb to temptation. Every one of us. Whether it be in thought, Or in word or in deed, sometimes we get tripped up. It's called sin. All have sinned, the Bible says. And the biggest struggle that we have here on earth is we're fighting a battle with with sin, with temptation. But when you get to heaven, here's the good news. that That battle is over with forever. Why? Because there's no sin there, okay? If God is holy and heaven is holy, there's no sin there. And so that battle that you've been fighting your whole life, trying to keep on the right track and do the right things, that struggle will be over for you forever. Psalm 96, verse 9, Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness tremble before him all the earth first peter 1:16 peter writes by inspiration of the holy spirit says for it is written be holy because i am holy so what is heaven like heaven is a place where god is and god is love and god is good and god is holy and god is true he's true god is Not only true, he is the truth. He is the absolute, God is the absolute opposite of deception and pretension and hypocrisy. And to be in the presence of God is to be in the presence of one who has never lied. God has never lied and God has never lied to any of us. He's never lied to you. Why? Because God is true. His nature of truth. Here's the thing to remember that when we get to heaven, His nature of truth, this is a beautiful thing to understand, It's going to disclose all the lies that you have believed, all the lies that have been communicated to you, all the lies that have tripped you up in your life. Because heaven is an atmosphere of absolute truth, because it's an, ap- it's a- it's an atmosphere of absolute truth. Heaven is an, ad- a- is an atmosphere of absolute freedom. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. All of us suffer in life with all kind of lies of the adversary. Oh, you're not worth this. God will never forgive you of that. And all kind of lies that come against us, and we are battling not only with sin, but battling with the lies of the adversary. And it's a struggle that we have mentally at times, trying to grab hold of the truth of God's word. But when you get to heaven, all of those lies are not only exposed in the sense of being removed, but truth begins to be a part of your being and as Jesus said as we'll see here in John chapter 8 in just a moment that sets you free John 14 verse 6 said Jesus answered I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me John 832 then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8, 44. The opposite of this, this, this dimension of truth. The, ex, the exposing of the adversary. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders of his time. He was a murderer. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, He speaks. His native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so when we get to heaven, all of those lies that have been propagated upon us by the adversary will be dismissed and dismantled and disposed of. And for the first time in your life, you will live under the freedom of absolute truth. The freedom of love, the freedom of his goodness, the freedom and the beauty of his holiness, The wonder of his truth. But let me give you the last thing that I want to mention to you today about God. We're talking about what happens when you die. Do you believe in God? And if you believe in him, what is he like? The fifth thing is that God is a just God. To be in the presence of God is to be in the presence of complete justice. In this world, we do not have complete justice, we suffer. All of us suffer in a variety of different ways with something called injustice. Certainly we as human beings and certainly we as believers in Jesus Christ should do everything that we can to try to promote and encourage justice in our world. But no matter what we do, because sin is in the world, there's going to always be some aspect of injustice that we're going to deal with. Always around us, because sin is in the hearts of mankind. People are treated with unjustly, and there's injustice in our world. Should it be? Absolutely not. But here's the good news. When we all get to heaven... When we all get to heaven, what a, what a glorious day that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Why? Because at that day, justice shall reign. Amen? Justice shall reign. And no, I'm not saying that we should wait till then to try to establish justice. But one thing is for sure, when we get to that day, justice will reign. Why? Because God is a just But let me bring this down to us personally because this is where it gets really beautiful. Because in my own nature, I deserve the wrath of God. And you do too. Because we're all sinners and we've fallen short of the glory of God. So here I am. I've I've treated God unjustly. I've treated God unjustly because I've sinned against my creator many times. My nature, born into this world as a sinner, and so I get to heaven and, and God says, okay, I'm just, I'm in trouble. How about you, okay? Because I am a criminal, if you will. I have, I've broken the, the laws of God multiple times as you have in your life. But here's the beautiful thing. When Jesus came to earth, he came to settle the issue of justice for believers. Because what Jesus did, listen closely to this, because when Jesus came to earth, he said, look, I know you're a sinner and you deserve the wrath of God, but here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to take your sin upon myself and I'm going to go to the cross. and I'm going to let them nail me to the cross and I'm going to allow God to pour out all the wrath that belong to you and you and you and you, and all of creation for all of history. I'm going to allow God to pour out all of that wrath on me, and I'm going to take your punishment for you. And there in that moment when Jesus was stretched out on the cross, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there in that moment as the, is the Righteous wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus. He paid the price for your sins and my sins. So, what does that mean? It doesn't stop there. He not only paid the price for my sins and your sins, he credited to me his righteousness. So when I stand before God, I am no longer in fear of judgment or punishment. Jesus already paid the price for me. And I can stand in the presence of God knowing that my name is in the book of life. And all my accounts have been cleared by the blood of Jesus. Amen. and I can also rest assured and with this I'm going to conclude I can also rest assured that any unjust injustice anything that has been done to me unjustly that has not been properly repented on before God and dealt with before God that when I get to heaven God will balance all the books amen that's why God says when someone treats you unjustly don't take revenge on them Don't get bitter and angry and take revenge on them. Leave it to God. I will avenge, says the Lord. What do we know about heaven? God's there. And God is real. It's not a figment of imagination. There are many, many reasons. I gave you just six today. There are lots of other reasons how and why you can believe in the existence of God. And who is this God that we will meet one day? He's a God of love. He's a God of goodness. He's a God that is holy. He's a God that is true. And he is a God that is just. Who has, has, through the blood of Jesus, justified us for eternity with him by faith in Christ. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father God, we thank you so much for the reminder today of the existence, your existence. Lord, we know you're real. We just want to worship you as God today. Acknowledge that you are the true God, the one and only God. And we bring to you our, our adoration. We bring to you our worship today. We thank you that you're loving, that you're good. Lord, we worship you in the splendor of your holiness. We thank you that you're absolutely true, that you never lie. We thank you that you're the just God and thank you for justifying us through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray today if there's anyone here who's never opened their life to Jesus, I pray that today would be that day for them. Come Holy Spirit, move on hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.